You ready to get into the Word? Hi, Zoomers, this morning. Good to have you with us. Turn to uh, Gospel of John. Gospel of John, we're continuing on in our series in John. I hope it's been a blessing to you. It's kind of interesting when you look at the four Gospels, um, each of them writing to a maybe a different audience, where Matthew always seemed to point to the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, the fulfillment of Hebrew Scriptures. He was writing to Jews to... Uh, show that Jesus was the Messiah. John, on the other hand, was writing primarily to a Gentile audience. Uh, he even says at the end, uh, he says, I write these things so that you may believe that you have eternal life. Believe in him, and because of that, know that you have eternal life. So John is writing to seekers. He's writing to people who may not uh, have been familiar with Jesus. So interesting, just the different... Uh, uh, the way that they approach different stories and what they include and what they do not include. So, John chapter 19. What I want to do um, this morning, we've been following along in the life of Jesus in John's Gospel, especially the events of the last uh, few days of his life here on earth. And I, I want to make sure that we continue on with the flow of that as we go. But I really want to focus on one thing that Jesus says on the cross because it's hugely important to our lives as Christians and our relationship with God as a whole. How many this morning have ever paid off a mortgage? Maybe you were here when the church paid off right, the, the, the debt on the, uh, on the addition, right? Uh, you, you, you know how you felt at that point. Maybe another loan that you had, a car loan or some other big debt that finally, right, you got out from under. You got out from under that ball and chain. Um, or for kids, maybe you got grounded and finally your grounding was up. You know, you remember the freedom of that, right? It's finally done. Or some chore you didn't like and, and now, you know, suddenly, uh, now I can go out and play because that's done, Right? How does that feel? feels really good to get out from under something like that. I want you to keep that in mind this morning as we go through John 19. I want to entitle the message, Paid in Full. Paid in Full. Now, looking back, uh, to kind of recap a little bit, they arrested Jesus at night, and they tried him twice, right, during the night, which was illegal. And when Jesus finally admitted that he was, in fact, the Son of God, he was condemned for blasphemy, and the Jewish ruling council sentenced him to death. Only they couldn't carry out that sentence because Rome had taken that authority away from them when they got annexed into the Roman Empire. Okay? So, they had to bring Jesus before the Roman governor Pilate to get his condemnation to, to make him sign off on it and carry out the execution. But Pilate, by his own admission, we talked about, did not find Jesus guilty under Roman law. But the Jewish chief priests yelled out that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the king of Israel. So anyone who claimed to be a king by that uh, virtue of that office would be opposing the Roman king, the emperor Caesar. So Pilate then had to acquiesce, 
and gave the order to have Jesus crucified. And that's where we pick up in verse 16. John 19:16. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. I want to show you a picture, modern-day Golgotha here. You can see by that picture, which I have circled, why they call this the place of the skull, right? You can kind of see an antenna up there. So uh, obviously this is modern day. So take that antenna down and put a cross there, and you're kind of transporting yourself back a couple thousand years. This was the place, a very fitting place for them to carry out their executions. So Jesus went from the praetorium where Pilate's judgment seat was to Golgotha by route uh, that they call the Via Della Rosa or the Way of Sorrow or Way of Suffering. Uh, he went out, anybody remember that Sandy Patty song? Beautiful, beautiful song, the Via Della Rosa. Uh, and, and he went out, John says, bearing his own cross. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all mention that at some point during this journey, uh, they tagged Simon of Cyrene to pick up that cross and carry it for him. Actually, it wasn't the whole cross. It was the cross beam uh, that, would, that would have been rested on Jesus' shoulders. But because he was scourged, because he was beaten, he was so weak, he could not continue the journey. So they got Simon of Cyrene to carry that cross for him. Verse 18, there they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Now, Luke, in his gospel, uh, in his introduction, he says, you know, I have carefully researched these things. I've carefully sought out these things so I can give you an accurate account here. And, and Luke records that one of those that was crucified with Jesus actually came to faith while he was on his cross. Uh, they, they record that he, along with the other one, also reviled Jesus, but all of a sudden his eyes were opened and he recognized who Jesus was. And remember he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Wonderful, wonderful story from Luke to remind us, to remind us that no one is beyond the Lord's reach. Right? No one, uh, whether you're praying for a loved one who's far away from God, or maybe you've been in a place where you say, you know, I, I've just done too much bad. God can't, you know, save me. I'm, I'm a hopeless cause. No. Nope. Check it out in Luke 22. You're never too far, and it's never too late. It's by grace that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ not because of what we have or haven't done. Praise the Lord. Verse 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where the Jew, Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Now, 
I can't really get into Pilate's head here. As we've noted before, he was conflicted. That was clear from the scripture. He was somewhat afraid because of the things that he had heard about Jesus. Um, So whether he was trying to actually acknowledge who Jesus was here, or whether he was showing the strength of Rome against anyone who would dare oppose Caesar and his authority, it's not really clear. Kind of hard to say. Maybe both. Okay. So he wrote, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Verse 23, then the soldiers had crucified Jesus. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. Also his, I can't read this morning. Sorry, my other tongue is at the cleaners. Um, But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Interesting, the prophecy of scripture quoted here is Psalm 22. We talked about that before. You read Psalm 22, you get an accurate, detailed description of the crucifixion over a thousand years before it happened. Over a thousand years before Roman crucifixion had even been invented. Right? Little did these soldiers know that they were fulfilling the Hebrew scriptures and glorifying God. You think they would have chosen to do that? (laughs) No. Right? But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Lots of Marys there. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, this is how John, in his humility, refers to himself often in his gospel. He doesn't name himself. He doesn't want to name. He just calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. When he saw him standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Have you ever seen that before? Here is Jesus on the cross, excruciating pain, right? But he is also the eldest son. Joseph has passed. It's up to the eldest son then to provide for his mom. And look what he does. His brothers, or I should say his half-brothers, right, um, were not believers. So what does Jesus do? He entrusts his mom into the care of the Apostle John. What a just, don't you just love that? Here he is in all the pain and stuff, and he's taking care of his mom. You're going to go live with him. John, you good with that? Yep. Right? I just love that. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Another psalm of David. Uh, Psalm 69 says, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Again, written over a thousand years before it happened. Verse 30, 
And here's where we really want to go today. Verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. The power of those words, which has meant everything for the human race. In the Greek, the word is tetelestai. Scholars tell us it was the same word that they would write across their receipts in that time. It meant paid in full. That's why I entitled the message Paid in Full. And that, that term, paid in full, tetelestai, that means two incredibly important things. Number one, it means that Jesus paid the full price for the sin of mankind. All of mankind. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, everyone. In case you didn't get the all, you know what all means in Hebrew? All. In case you didn't get it the first time, everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Bible says the wages of sin is death. But God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. You say, how could Jesus being one take the sin of everybody? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, because He Himself was sinless. He didn't have His own sin that he had to account for. Therefore, he was a perfect, spotless sacrifice. Number two, the second reason is because Jesus stood as a representative of the human race. Being sinless, he could stand in that place, like Adam did in the beginning. Right? Adam stood in for the whole entire race when he ate of that tree and rebelled against God. Here's what Romans 5.19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. There it is. Jesus stood in. He took, he was that perfect sacrifice, taking the sin of all mankind on himself. Paid the price in full on the cross. Again, any sin too big? Nope. Anybody too far gone? Nope. By grace, we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So, first, paid in full means that Jesus paid for all the sins of mankind. And second, he paid for all your sins and mine. What's all mean? <clears throat> What's all mean? All, yeah. I used to struggle with this personally. Let me be real honest with you. I used to struggle with this. I got the fact that when I came to Christ, God wiped my slate clean. I got that. It was so freeing, like paying off the mortgage, right? It was just so freeing that that debt of sin was gone. I was forgiven. But then I became aware 
I, I became so aware not only of God's presence in my life and, and, and this whole new thing that was open to me, but I also became aware of my sinfulness. I also became aware of, of my, my inconsistencies, my inability to, to walk the road I wanted to walk. And it became this, this heaviness that I carried around with me, right? And with that, with that, my faults and my failures, this, this, even when I, you know, I, I knew I could come back to him. I knew I could confess my sins and be forgiven. But over the course of time, it's like failure, 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 failure. I am just a failure. I'll never get it right. I'll never be consistent. Anybody relate to that this morning? And, and the weight of that produced in me a feeling of God's rather consistent disappointment in Ron, which obviously took the joy out of my relationship with him. And that, um, I, I, I mean, I had some joy sparingly when I did good, you know. Every now and then I would have a good day and you know or do something really good for somebody and I just felt like God was happy with me for a few minutes until I blew it again. But most of the time he was kind of like yeah, you, right? But you see that feeling that I had was not based in truth. That was based on my understanding, my limited understanding. It was not based in truth. The truth is that all of our sin, past, present, and future, was judged and paid for on the cross. Somebody said, said it to me this way one time. He said, Ron, how many sins did you commit before Jesus died on the cross? Uh, none. So they were all after, right? Yeah. Even the ones you haven't committed yet, they were all after. Uh-huh. Jesus died for them there. Past, present, and future. The sins you haven't even thought of yet. They were all laid upon him, judged and paid for. It is finished, paid in full. That is the truth. That is the glorious freedom that Paul talks about in the book of Galatians. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. No more under the weight of sin. It's been paid for. It's done. It's finished. Paid in full. Now, does that mean... what? Well, First of all, Romans 8.1 says there is therefore, therefore why? Because it's been paid in full. There is therefore now no condemnation. What's no mean? No. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. God's not condemning you. If you feel condemnation, that's not God. The scripture says there is no condemnation for you. Now, Give you a little terms here. The Holy Spirit will convict me of something. He'll say, Ron, check your attitude on that. Bud, what was, you know, 
What was that all about? Yeah, okay. I, I, I agree with you, Lord. But he doesn't do that to condemn me. He does that to show me a better way. He does that to say, Ron, I, this isn't the way to handle this. I want you to handle it this way over here. Do you see how that's going to work out better for you and everybody else too? It's like, yep, you're right. The conviction, get, get, getting that information that we need to understand and to turn from something, that comes from God. Condemnation, you sorry excuse for a Christian, you blew it again, you're never going to get this right, that's not God. There is somebody in the book of Revelation who is called the accuser of the brethren, the devil, he's the one that condemns, not God. So if you're, if you're feeling worthless, if you're feeling you know, you're never going to make it, that's not truth. Jesus says, let me show you a better way. Yeah, that was wrong. You need to understand that. You need to know that so you can, you know, so you can move away from that. But here is the better way. This is the way of blessing. Difference between condemnation and conviction. So all our sins, even the ones that we, that we haven't committed yet, all forgiven, all, perfect, all paid for, all done. Does that mean that you and I then just sin with impunity? Is that what it means? No. As Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, Paul says, because how can we who died to sin live in it any longer? When Jesus paid for our sins, not only did, did we get a clean slate, not only do we get our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, not only do we ha have our eternity set in heaven, but Jesus also set in motion the rest of the new covenant. Look what Ezekiel says here. Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. When we come to Christ, he literally changes our hearts. There is a change that takes place. I am no longer the same thing. Paul called it a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? He changes and puts His Holy Spirit in us to teach us and to guide us. It's not just an accounting thing, right? It's not just, okay, you're, 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 you're good. No, there's a relationship thing going on. We get a new heart, we become a new creation. He puts His Spirit within us. Jeremiah 31 says this, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I'll put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts. Have you ever heard the phrase, it was on my heart to do this here, right? I, this, this has been on my heart, right? What does that mean? In other words, I wanted to do this. So what's God saying here? I, I will write it on. He, what, what he means is he actually begins to transform our desires, right? So they line up with his will and his ways. My desire changes from self-serving to 
modeling what, what grace does, seeing somebody that has a need and right, giving myself to meet that need. Love others before myself. Right? Change that takes place. And I will be their God, he says, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. This is one of the greatest things from the Reformation, that, that we don't need a human mediator. We, we have pastors, we have teachers, get that. But we don't need a mediator to tell us um, this is what God is telling you and, and you have to come to me for that knowledge. No, each and every one of us from the least to the greatest can know the Lord for ourselves. Have that relationship with him, that personal relationship. Have his spirit living in us, his guidance be able to hear His voice, be led by His Spirit. That is open to everybody. The understanding of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit illuminating our hearts to truth, that is open to every single believer. We don't need someone standing in that place feeding us. Uh, this is, you know... No. We can feed ourselves sitting at the feet of the Lord. Amen? God opens to us not a religion to adhere to, but a person to know and to walk with. And all of this happens. Why? Continuing on in Jeremiah, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. All of this Complete forgiveness, a new heart, God's Spirit living in us, transforming our desires, and a personal relationship with a Heavenly Father who bestows on us His love and His unmerited favor, taking us from darkness into light and into fruitfulness and impacting the lives of others, all because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross where the price for our sin was paid in full. And he calls us, every single one of us, to believe and to receive. So there's my question. Maybe, maybe you've believed at once, but you didn't really understand like me. And you've been walking around under this cloud instead of the freedom and the joy of your relationship with the Lord. Time to grab a hold of that truth today. Or maybe you're here or watching this online and you say, I've never opened my heart and received Jesus as my Savior. I would urge you to do that. Let's pray this morning. First, for those who have not opened their heart, you've seen the truth. 
that God wants a relationship with you, that God does not want you to perish but to have everlasting life, that Jesus came and took your sin, everything, upon himself on the cross and paid that price in full. Do you want to be free of that? And do you want all that comes with that? A change of heart, a new relationship with God to walk with him and talk with him. If you want that, just say, Lord, here am I. Here am I. I open my heart to you. I ask you, Jesus, to be my Savior. I give you my sin for your love and grace. Come into my heart and life, Lord, and show me what it is to walk with Almighty God, forgiven and free, led by His Spirit. And I thank you for that. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever will open that door, I will come in. That's the promise of Scripture. And maybe you're here like me, who at one time understood the freedom of a clean slate, but you've been walking in the heaviness of your own inconsistency. Trade that this morning for the glorious freedom of having all of your sin paid for, judged, no longer on you, no condemnation. Walk with Him in a new freedom and a new joy. Will we mess up? Yeah, we'll mess up. But He's going to be there to continue to work in us, transforming those desires, teaching us the right, like a mentor, like a coach, telling us the way to live, giving us a swift kick when we need one, without condemnation, but in love. That's our freedom in Christ. And if that's you this morning, just say, God, okay, I get it. Help me, Lord, make that truth real in my heart and in my life that I might walk with you in joy and in truth and share this love with others. We thank you for it, Lord. God, be glorified in this place today. Through Christ we pray.